Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. My name is Nicole Garrett, and I volunteer at CareNet. I was in mom's group for several years, and, and I had been praying for a really long time about where God wanted me to serve. After the guest speaker, Jerry Amos, came from CareNet, she said that they were looking for volunteers. From the first meeting that Nicole and I had, I knew that God had placed her in my life, and she knew that God had placed me in her life. When she, when she, you know, said it, I had never heard of CareNet, and at that point, it was like I just knew that that's where God wanted me to go. The primary focus of um, CareNet's ministry is um, to help women in like a crisis pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy. Um, so anyone who's facing a pregnancy decision, um, they're you know a pro-life um, ministry. They share the gospel. Everything that we offer for our clients, there is no charge ever. Everything is free. So free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds. We have parenting classes. We have classes in life skills. We also have outside resources where we do referrals. We have um, also post-abortion classes here within the facility. So a lot of outreach takes place as well. When I was 14 years old, I found out that I was pregnant. And I was terrified to tell my parents, you know, like, I love babies and I love kids. And so in my mind, if you get pregnant, you have a baby because you love babies and you love kids. My parents weren't supportive of me keeping the baby and they put a lot of pressure on me to have an abortion. And ultimately, I decided to have an abortion. And I remember feeling that that's not what I really wanted, but I was doing what I felt like I had to do. I don't, I didn't know God at the time. And at that point, I felt so separated and far from God. And I think he was probably crying with me that, you know, that that choice, that my decision grieved him. Um, And I know in that moment, he would have forgiven me. I know, you know, I know that he would have been a loving, merciful father, because that's who he is. My high school years were extremely hard. They were extremely hard. I had no way of expressing how I was feeling. I was just holding it in. I I didn't tell any of my friends because I was ashamed. And I didn't tell my parents who knew about it because, you know, I I think we all just wanted to forget about it. Becoming a Christian, like, dramatically changed my life. But I think the biggest thing that had me, like, you know, in bondage was just that, that shame and that guilt. I mean, I never talked about my abortion before I came to CareNet, and it was just all like bound up inside and pushed down and suppressed. I help lead a, a post-abortion Bible study for anybody who wants to receive healing from their abortion. I know for me, like it helped me with guilt and shame and receiving God's forgiveness. And so by being able to come to CareNet, I was able to express those feelings and get those feelings out and not have to push them down and suppress them anymore. I think before I went through this study, there was a part of me that didn't even realize that I needed healing. There was a part of me that felt I was just dealing with it the best that I could. 
through the study, um, I was able to forgive uh, my parents for their part in it. Once I had healings in it, then I was able to go and talk to them about it, to just share our hearts with each other, you know, and to ask each other for forgiveness, you know, for them to ask me and for me to ask them. So I certainly was not um, the perfect child, and so I had a lot to, to ask them to forgive me for. You know, and my dad said, if I could go back, I would say, let's have the baby. And, you know, just to hear those words, um, you know, for me, it really, it meant a lot. Um, and then, you know, my mom, she's a volunteer at CareNet. She volunteers as a care staff volunteer. Um, so she's in the appointment rooms with, you know, ladies who are considering abortion, uh, you know, or who are in that same situation. And to me, like, that speaks volumes that, you know, the whole family has been healed through this Bible study. I had never imagined that God would bring me to this place. Like, I always felt like I was just going to stay in that place of, like, zip your lips and keep it in and I never thought that I would have just the freedom to be able to talk about it openly. I want to share that message with everyone that, you know, if God can do this for me, He can do it for you. Everyone in the church probably has a story of a friend, a neighbor, a relative, or maybe them themselves, a story of abortion. We are making a difference in the women's community, but we are making a difference, the bottom line for our community in general, financially, spiritually. We are part of the entire picture. You know, it's just a such an awesome, you know, ministry and just to watch how God changes people's lives. It's just a miracle what God has done. It's a miracle, but at the same time, it's a miracle that He can do in any, any woman's life too. I knew that God had something for me, but I was like, I could never talk about my abortion like publicly, open, you know, like that'll, God could never do that for me. And I was so wrong. <laughs> wow, such courage. Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Bridge. We're glad that you have chosen to worship with us today, whether you're here in Center Court West, if you're up at the Woodlands, or if you're coming to us online, we are pleased that you are here today. It is with a measure of fear and trepidation that I broach today's subject. Not so much because uh, I'm afraid to take a stand, nor because uh, I I'm afraid that some of you might disagree with what I have to say. Rather, my, my fear is rooted in something else altogether. If there is any one word in the English language that goes hand in hand with the entire experience of abortion, it is the word pain. I don't care what your political leanings are, what your personal ethics may be, I think one thing we can all agree on is that this is an incredibly painful event in a person's life and for the persons around them, emotionally, physically. Over the years, 24 now, as a pastor, it has been my, um, my sacred privilege to have sat with women and men who have been involved in an abortion. And... Uh, it's difficult for me to convey, really, 
the incredible sense of guilt and shame and pain that these individuals have. And the last thing that I would want to do this morning is to add to that sense, that burden that some of you already carry. This is not a beat you up message. This is not a message of condemnation. Really, my heart's desire today is to do, uh, as scripture says, to speak the truth in love. You know, if one speaks only the truth, then there is no mercy, there's no compassion. And on the other hand, if one speaks only love, then there is no justice. And so my desire is to speak both truth and love. And so I want to ask you to please uh, pray with me and pray for me as we uh, begin to discuss this issue today. Will you do that now? Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in your house to lift up the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray now that as we turn our attention toward a difficult subject, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, just as you promised, and that he would guide us into all truth. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is no secret, of course, that, yes, what we're talking about today is a very difficult and sensitive subject. Since 1973, when our Supreme Court legalized abortion, it has become one of, if not the most divisive, contentious issue in our culture. The battle lines have been clearly drawn between two groups that broadly self-identify as pro-life and pro-choice. And a great deal of the battle between those two groups has taken place on a political playing field. So let me say right here from the outset, if you came today hoping to get uh, a voter recommendation from me, or if you came looking for uh, some faith, uh, excuse me, Facebook zingers that you can put out there, I'm afraid you're going to be Uh, very disappointed. But on the other hand, if you came today in a search for truth and a desire to better understand God's word as it proclaims truth, then you have come to the right place. Forming a backdrop for all that we're going to talk about today is the understanding that abortion is always the result of living in a broken, fallen, and sinful world. And leading up to any abortion is a series, a number of God-grieving events that really form the entire systemic nature of this issue. It's, It's not just the act of abortion itself that we need to consider because it is much larger. It touches many more lives than simply the young woman that may be involved. I think about how our culture has failed girls in communicating to them their sense of value and worth as girls. 
I think about how our culture has failed boys and left them alone to try to figure out what it means to be a man. I think about the scourge of human trafficking that's taking place all around the world and even right here under our nose. The rather uh, collective shrug of our culture toward sexuality, reducing it to something as, as mundane and casual as even holding hands. Perhaps the, the, the well-meaning, the well-intentioned parents who push and prod and move their daughter toward an abortion, thinking to themselves, well, it's, 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 it's better that you know, we ruin one life instead of just two. I think about the boyfriends who apply pressure to their girlfriends to have an abortion, the same kind of pressure they used maybe to get her to have sex in the first place. And I think most of all about the girls and the women who find themselves in this place of an unwanted pregnancy and they're looking into an abyss of fear and hopelessness and uncertainty about what the future may hold. All of this is part of the equation. It is not simply what happens when an abortion takes place, but many, many things are involved. And so today my goal in the message is twofold. On the one hand, I want us to gain a clear understanding of God's perspective on this. Because if we're going to be God's spokespersons, as he expects we will be, we need to understand what he thinks. And then secondly, in light of God's perspective, I want us to consider what our responsibility is. As the people of God, as the body of Christ, what is our responsibility to the world in light of what God thinks about this. We're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hands. The ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. Uh, really, uh, it might be simpler today uh, to take advantage of simply seeing the passages of Scripture on the screen because we are going to look at several. We're going to be moving at a pretty good pace. It might be easier just to watch those and then reference in, in your notes. But if you need one, take it, and that can be our gift to you. So we want to start with considering God's perspective. What does God think about abortion? What does God think about all those other things that I mentioned just a moment ago? Well, perhaps some of you are thinking, well, duh, Dan, Surely any Bible-believing Christian knows intuitively God is against it. God is not for it in any way. And I would not disagree with that statement. I would agree, absolutely, God is against abortion. It is not a part of his will for humanity. But I would hasten to add, we cannot stop there. We can't be content with simply knowing that God is against this. Because as I said, we are God's spokesperson to the world. We are the ones who have to take his message. We are his body who take it to the world. And unless we can present a clear and compelling understanding of why God thinks the way he thinks, 
then I think by and large we are wasting our time and trying to persuade anyone to a kingdom point of view. We cannot simply stop with saying, oh, he's against it. No, we've got to push it a little further and understand exactly why he is against it. And at the basis of why God is against abortion is the fundamental understanding that for God, life is sacred. Life is sacred. It is valuable. It is to be treasured and cherished. It has intrinsic value. And not just life at large, but every single individual life is sacred to God, valuable to God. And life is sacred to God for several reasons. The first of which is that life reflects the very essence of God. God is not simply pro-life. He is life. God doesn't depend on anybody else for his existence. He is completely self-sustaining in every way. Life is a reflection of the very essence of God. We see this perhaps most clearly in Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. You'll recall that God gave Moses a mission to go and deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. And Moses, in response, said, well, who am I going to tell them sent me? And God said, you tell them, I am sent you. Not I will be, not I could be, I might be, I should be. No, I am. God simply is. For God not to value life, for God not to hold life as sacred, to de devalue life, would be to deny himself, and he's not about to do that. Life is sacred for God because it is a reflection of the essence of God. It is also sacred for him because he shares it so generously. The only reason there is anything else is because God has said it would be so. The reason we have life, the, rest of, the reason all the rest of creation has life is because God has imparted life. You know how it is when you're excited about something, when you feel good about something, you want everybody else to know, you want everybody else to have a part of it. That's how God is about life. You know, God did not have to give us life. He was perfectly content, perfectly fulfilled in the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, under no compulsion to give life to anyone else, but out of the love that they share for one another, life overflowed. And almost in a profligate manner, God gives and shares life. It's so meaningful to him. He wants others to have it. In Genesis chapter 2, we read that he took the dust of the ground, he shaped it and molded it, and then he blew the breath of life into Adam. And then even when Adam and all the rest of us took that precious gift, wadded it up and threw it in the trash can and said, no thanks, not interested in your life, I want my life, he went on and graciously gave us a second chance at life. Every single one of us have walked away from that initial gift. We've done so through our sin, whether our sin is lying or cheating or adultery or, yes, even abortion. 
It all separates us from God and it all leads to the consequence of death. But God so desperately wanted his creation to have this precious gift that he offers us a second opportunity through his son, Jesus. That is the essence of the gospel. That God is overcoming death through his son and extending to us yet another opportunity to have new life. God is all about sharing life. Perhaps the best known passage of scripture in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life is sacred for God, not only because it reflects who he is, but also because he loves to share it. And a third reason that we know life is sacred to God is because God goes to great lengths and great pains to protect life. He loves it, he cherishes it, and so he protects it. And he most especially protects and wants us to protect those among us who cannot protect themselves. All throughout the Old Testament, we read his admonition to the Israelites. Look out for the poor and the needy. Look out for the widow and the orphan. Look out for the weak and the helpless among you. The psalmist tells us, rescue the weak. Rescue them from the hands of the wicked. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 said to us, when you minister to the least of these... Those that have no voice and have no power, you have ministered to me. God cares about those who have no voice, who have no power. And surely if any group qualifies, if any group falls into that category, it is the unborn. They have no voice. They have no power. God values life and life is sacred to God because it reflects who he is, he shares it so freely and he is so eager to protect it. There can be no doubt in our minds, biblically speaking, that life is sacred to God. And in light of that fact then, what is our responsibility? If as his body, we clearly understand life is an important thing in all of its manifestations, then what are we to do? How are we to enact and bring about God's good and perfect will in this world? Well, we are not self-existent. We are not self-sustaining like God, so we can't join him on that point. Neither can we impart life to others. That's a prerogative God reserves for himself. So we cannot join him on that point, but we can join him in protecting Life, And I think he has every expectation that that's what his people will do. You know, I think that's one of the reasons he gave us Psalm 139. To help us understand from conception, life is important to me. You knew my inmost being. When I was in the womb, you knew me. I was knowable. I was a person. You had plans for me. You loved me. Your ways are too wonderful for me. Yes, God is going to expect that you and I do all that we can to protect life. So how do we do that? Well, I want to share with you some ways that we can begin to protect life right now, today. 
There's lots and lots of different ways that you can do it and many ways in which it has been done. But for our purposes, I want to share with you some ways that you and I can can engage in the protecting of life, very practical, easy-to-implement sort of ways. And to begin with, I want us to focus specifically on how do we protect the unborn. How do we protect the unborn? One way that we can protect unborn children is perhaps a way that you've never given much consideration to, but it's vital, and that is choosing to live according to God's plan for human sexuality. God's plan for sex is that it take place between one man and one woman in the bonds of marriage. In other words, if you are not in a heterosexual monogamous marriage, you do not need to be having sex. Did you know that 85% of all abortions that take place in this country are performed on women that are unmarried? It staggers the mind to think how drastically the abortion rate could be lowered if we would but submit ourselves to God's plan for sex. Now, some of you surely right about this moment are thinking to yourselves, did this guy step right out of the Victorian age? I mean, really, we're in the 21st century. Granted, 1962 was a little ways back, not quite Victorian. But here's the deal, friends. Cultures come and go. Ethical systems come and go. Social mores come and go. The word of our God stands forever. Truth remains truth. And you can write it down. God's way is always better. Always, always, always better than any other option that you may encounter. And the converse is true as well. The decision to step outside of God's plan is always, always fraught with terrible, negative, and sometimes even life and death consequences. And so the next time that perhaps you are considering engaging in sex outside of marriage, you might stop and consider, you know, this isn't just an act of passion. This isn't something that I might just feel a little guilty about. No, the distinct potential is there. For it to become a matter of life and death, if we want to protect unborn children, one of the first ways we can do it is to adhere to God's plan for sex. I read an article the other day by some character, I don't even remember his name, who was just sure that God hates sex. Christians hate sex. Stay away from it. Run from it. I wrote him a letter. You know, uh, maybe you don't read the Bible much. God made sex. God doesn't make anything that he hates. God gave sex to us as something to be enjoyed. A grand part of filling the world. But like with every other good gift that God has given to us, it comes with parameters. God doesn't hate sex any more than he hates fire. 
But you must use fire with wisdom. Failure to do so results in horrible destruction and the loss of life. And so does the misuse of sex. If we want to protect unborn children, let's save our sexual activity for marriage. Another way that we can protect the unborn is to take advantage of and make others know about all of the opportunities that are out there for adoption and foster care. Uh, many of you are aware that I serve here as the missions pastor, and uh, our missions ministry has partners all over the world and right here in Houston that we come alongside to do ministry with. And one of those ministries that I am so incredibly proud to be associated with is CareNet Pregnancy Center of Houston. Because this ministry is on the front line of protecting the unborn, of ministering to women and to men who find themselves in a place of an unwanted pregnancy, unsure and uncertain of what to do. And if you go to their website, you'll see right off the bat, we are here for you. You don't have to rush into an abortion. It is not your only option. There are other things that you can do. I mentioned to you earlier that I've spent time counseling with individuals regarding abortion. I've also spent time counseling couples who are struggling with infertility. And I can tell you that that is an incredibly painful experience as well. And so, by the use of adoption or foster care, not only do we have the opportunity to save a life, but there's the double blessing of a man and a woman who so desperately want to raise a child being given that opportunity. CareNet has individuals on their staff, professionals and volunteers who have been trained to come alongside those who are contemplating an abortion or those who are struggling in the aftermath. And they know how to surround these persons with love and compassion and mercy and provide them with information. We believe in CareNet here. And if you're here today and you're contemplating the possibility of an abortion or you know someone who is or if you are still dealing with the pain of an aftermath, make your way to CareNet. They are there for you and we are a proud partner with them. We can protect the unborn by living according to God's will for sexuality. By taking advantage of and making known the options that are around us besides abortion. And then thirdly, we can protect the unborn by a commitment to pray. Yeah, pray. It seems to me that uh, oftentimes when the body of Christ bumps up against a big issue, a big monolithic immovable issue, our attitude quickly becomes, well, I can't do much of anything else to change this, so I might as well pray. Really? Let's don't sell God short. God cares about this more than we do. And he's waiting for us to get in the game, to demonstrate to him that we care about it. I think about his words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people, my people will humble themselves 
Seek my face and pray. Then will I hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and heal their land. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this. It's an important issue, but really, it doesn't apply to me. I've never had an abortion. I've never known anyone who's had an abortion. Let me tell you, friends, there are no innocent bystanders. And perhaps the action step for you today is to repent of your prayerlessness and to get on your knees and become an advocate to cry out to God for those who cannot protect themselves. There's something for all of us to do. We can live the way God wants us to live. We can help others know about the options, and each and every one of us can pray. Yeah, God wants us to protect the unborn, but there's one other group of people that God cares very, very much about, that he wants us to show compassion and mercy to, and even sometimes protect And those are the adults that are involved in an abortion. The girl or the woman who has had one. The father of that child. The parent who pushed and moved. The friend who encouraged abortion, have an abortion. Medical professionals who've come to a place of realizing This is not of God. And they're wanting to move away from that. How do we care for and protect these people? In closing, let me share with you just a couple of ways we can minister to them. And the first thing I would say to you is this. Never be the one to cast the first stone. Never. You know that saying, cast the first stone. It comes from an episode in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus came upon a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. The village elders had found her out, and she was about to receive her punishment. They were going to stone her to death. And Jesus stood before them, between them and the woman, and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the stones began to drop to the ground. And in a matter of moments, Jesus and the woman were left alone. And he said to her, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No, sir. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Our role, our protection we offer to these people is to say, neither do I. Because believe you me, the accuser of our souls is saying it over and over and over. And poorly informed, judgmental Christians are saying it over and over and over. And it is not our place to condemn. It is our place to show the gracious, kind, merciful, compassionate love of Jesus. Neither do I. Neither do I. 
And we don't need to be doing that only on an individual basis. But corporately, as a church, we need to be coming together to communicate to the world at large, this is a safe place. Faith Bridge is a safe place. No matter what your sin may be, abortion or all the rest, this is a place that you can run to, not a place that you want to run from. Our tagline around here is real people, real life. Guess what? Real people sin. Real life has sin. Our job is not to go around pointing that out, pointing fingers. It's the height of hypocrisy for anyone who is the recipient of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to then turn and condemn someone else. That is not our job. Our job is to open our arms, to create a safe place, to love, and to let this community know that we care. how do we do that? You know, the, the, the sort of um, acceptance and healing and restoration that I'm talking about only occurs in the context of relationship. Only. No one's just going to walk in here on a Sunday anonymously and discover and find for themselves the kind of healing and restoration we're talking about. No, that's going to happen in relationship. And the way we do relationship around here is in groups grow groups, when people come together and know one another and love one another and journey together and have compassion and forgiveness and mercy toward one another, understanding and healing takes place in that context. Teaching and preaching happens great in rows, but healing happens in circles. And that's why we constantly lift up our grow group ministry. It's not because we just want you to have one more thing to do. It's because we know what happens in the context of loving, Christ-like relationship. If you're not in a group, begin looking for one. Just two days ago, I was having a conversation with a faith bridger, a woman who had an abortion, who found healing and forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. And she said to me, you know, Dan, it's uncanny. I've been in three different girl groups in our years at Faith Bridge, and in every one of those groups, God has connected me with a woman who has carried for years the shame and the guilt and the deep, dark secret of abortion. And I've had the privilege of being his instrument of hope and healing in their lives. We can show the love of Jesus and our serve teams. Did you know that's our reputation in the community? That we are a serving church? I hear it everywhere I go. Yesterday I was at the vet. <laughs> Probably my least place, favorite place in the world to be. Not because I have anything against vets. I just happen to have something against our dog. And someone heard my voice, and it was yet another reminder that when I'm in public, I need to behave. <laughs> and they began to snap their fingers, and I thought, here it comes. I, I, I know you. you you're, you're, you're Dan. Yes, Faith Bridge. Yeah, yeah. 
I love Faith Bridge. Faith Bridge is doing so many good things. She didn't say Faith Bridge is a good place. She said Faith Bridge is doing so many good things. CareNet needs volunteers. CareNet needs individuals who will step up and say, you know what, I'll do what I can. I'll show that love. I'll show that compassion. One other way that we can protect. Uh, I also happen to serve in the care ministry here at FaithBridge. And one of my colleagues is Beth Ellis. Beth is our care coordinator, focusing uh, particularly on women and families. And Beth has a tremendous ministry here. And she has a number of resources that are available, not just to our church, but to our community. Beth herself is a fine pastoral counselor, full of biblical wisdom, and more than capable of walking with someone through a difficult healing process. But beyond that, she also happens to know and have relationships with very fine professional counselors in our community that she can refer people to if that is the need. But perhaps best of all and most encouraging to me of all, reminiscent of the beautiful video that we saw, Beth knows a group of women in our church Women for whom I have all the admiration in the world because they have compassionately and courageously stepped forward and said to Beth, you know, if anybody ever comes around and they've got that unbelievable, painful, deep sense of guilt because of an abortion, I, I want to be available to them. I've been there, but I've found healing and hope. And I want to make that journey with them. If that is what you need, if you know someone with that need, call Beth. Call her here at the church office. It will be her privilege, her joy to do whatever she can to minister. What does God think about it? God's all about life. What's our responsibility? We get to protect it. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning our hearts are overflowing with gratitude for the gift of life. The mystery, the beauty, the blessing of life. But at the same time, we are keenly aware of our failure to value it in lots of different ways. Some of us have had abortions. Some of us have been involved in other ways. Some of us have just been plain apathetic about the whole thing. Forgive us, oh God. Whatever our failure, wherever we come up short, cleanse us. We readily receive the cleansing blood of Jesus, which covers all sin. And I pray especially for those who hear my voice today, that if they find themselves resonating and they find themselves in need, 
Give them courage and give them strength to move toward resources of healing. And enable us as a church, as your people in this community to show forth your love, your compassion, your forgiveness and your healing in all the ways that you will allow us to do so. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, welcome to Postscript. I'm Hannah Connor, and I'm here with Pastor Dan, who has just preached an awesome message on the sanctity of life. We've got a lot of questions for you, so let's jump into it. Okay. Um, to start off, let's talk about the medical questions a little bit. We had some questions about birth control, in vitro fertilization, Plan mm -hmm. B. Can you share your thoughts with us, or maybe point to some resources that would be helpful? Sure. Um, the people who have come to me with concerns about these sort of things are coming out of a concern over what we talked about today. It is contraception in some way abortive? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is no. Uh, you know, contraception, before, outside of conception, that's the purpose of a contraceptive device. So there's no concern there. Now, when you get into matters of different types of contraceptive devices and which ones are abortive and which ones are not, I'm not a doctor. The best thing to do is to talk to your doctor. Right. Uh, in vitro fertilization and uh, other matters of how technology impacts human reproduction, mm -hmm. those are big, big questions. Right. And... Uh, I can't honestly say that I've given lots and lots of thought to that particular aspect of this. And so the resources that I would recommend, which I think are excellent, would be CareNet. Mm -hmm. The people there have thought about this a lot, and I know they speak from a biblical perspective. And Focus on the Family is another resource uh, that uh, I would encourage anyone to consult with questions about this. Great. It's really helpful. <clears throat> so you painted a great, really clear picture for us today of um, why life has value. Mm -hmm. And how does what you talked about in your sermon relate to the death penalty? Another good, good question. And I, a, a legitimate question because sanctity of life certainly extends to matters of, of the death penalty. Um, I would say this. I would encourage every viewer, every listener to consider what are the ramifications of a holistic approach to sanctity of life. Is it inconsistent to, on the one hand, be opposed to abortion but for the death penalty? Or uh, does uh, consistency demand that we be opposed to both of these uh, that's a question worth wrestling over. And uh, again, lots of good resources out there. Focus on the family being another one that I would recommend uh, for people to delve into Scripture and decide on their own. Yeah, that's good. 
One of the ways I think a lot of Christians engage with the issue of abortion is in the political arena. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the best way, do you think, to engage with the issue? I wouldn't necessarily call it the best way. I think it is one of many ways that we can engage. Um, if you can engage in the political arena in a knowledgeable, helpful, Christ-like way, mm -hmm. yeah, do it. I mean, that, that's a privilege we have as citizens of this country, that we're allowed to participate in the process. However, if uh, politics is one of those things that brings out the worst in you, find other ways. There, there are other ways to be a constructive part mm -hmm. of this whole thing uh, beyond politics. But if it, it is certainly a legitimate way. Yeah. You dealt a lot or, or dwelt a lot on sexuality in this sermon. And so we got a question asking for a specific reference um, in the Bible that would prohibit sex outside of marriage. Okay. Um, this fall, we are going to be taking up uh, the matter of human sexuality in depth. We've got a sermon series coming up. The whole series is going to be devoted to that issue. Um, I think considering the parameters we're working with here, mm -hmm. um, we would do better to wait until we got to that point where a fuller explanation, mm -hmm. uh, fuller um, opportunity to discuss, that, that'll be the best place. Okay, I look forward to that. Uh, well then, let's talk about the action step uh -huh. that you gave us, which was caring for the unborn by fulfilling God's plan um, for sexuality and now, a lot of us, that wasn't a super intuitive action step, something that we would think would directly impact this issue. Sure. Talk me through that. Well, um, as I mentioned in the sermon, the vast majority of individuals who have an abortion are unmarried women. Uh, it is a reasonable, logical step that if individuals are in the bonds of marriage, that is going to then diminish that number uh, of abortions. It's certainly not going to solve the issue, and none of the things that I suggested are going to completely solve it. They are simple steps that anyone can take. Uh, engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage runs the risk every time of a pregnancy, and uh, many times it can be unwanted. So the potential is there. If we can just avoid that scenario altogether, I think all the better for the unborn. We have one last question, and I think um, that it serves to illustrate what a real life, uh, what a real life situation it is that we're talking about. It's not kind of like a theological uh, notion that affects real people in mm -hmm. devastating ways. And that question is, what about abortion in cases of rape? Or incest? Okay. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, that question does highlight the multi-dimensional aspect of this whole issue. You, you can't just come at it biblically or theologically or politically or in terms of ethics. Uh, there's a lot involved in there, which ramps up the complication factor in a big, big way. My counsel to someone in this situation would be uh, to follow what CareNet 
recommends um, on their website, avoid haste. That, that, that's really their big message. Don't, don't act reflexively. Mm -hmm. By no means am I in any way diminishing the pain, the revulsion, uh, all of that associated with rape and incest. Those are horrible, terrible things. And as a man, you know, I, I have to be very careful about uh, what I presume to know mm -hmm. about those things, which is not a lot. Um, but I think it is good advice to move slowly and carefully and prayerfully to talk to people who have given a lot of thought and have a lot of experience in dealing with these things. People who are rooted in the Word of God, who walk with the Lord. They're not just offering up psychological or just theological advice mm -hmm. or simply medical. Um, th these are persons who've thought about it from a lot of different angles, and uh, I think it would be well worth anyone's time to consult them, not only for the decision about abortion, but how to deal with all of the trauma right. associated with that. I mean, it goes way beyond the conception of the child. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's the uh, uh, psychological uh, issues to be addressed. There, there may be physical issues to be addressed. And so uh, get help. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. Dan, for answering these questions and for tackling um, such, a, such a tricky subject. You bet. Thank you for joining us for Postscript, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.